Welcome to Down in the Den. It's your boy Mars. And as always, we're back with the most illustrious guest, the most interesting guest, the best guest. And today is no different. Here with me is a good friend of mine and one of the best podcasters around, one of the best writers around, and has one of the most interesting journals around that you'll want to check out. My man Cameron Cohen. Cameron, how are you doing today, brother? I am doing okay. I am I am freshly freshly up and awake and we're here and I am excited to talk to you and I'm I'm excited to find out what we what you got what you're what you do here what you're going on here so sir we'll I, do a little bit of fun. everything I always say we're we're a buffet of awesome here so I'm <laughs> very, very very happy to have you man so uh as Cameron mentioned a few weeks ago I was a guest on his uh show uh, which was very awesome. We talked about everything from the political spectrum to uh, things going on in Hollywood, and it was a blast of a conversation. So I want you guys to check out his podcast when you have an opportunity, if you haven't done so already. And like I said, I'm very happy to have him in the den and get him stamped as an official den mate. Uh, so Cam, uh, if you could tell the den mates a little bit about yourself, your mission, your background, and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my name is Cameron Cowan, as you said. Um, I am a writer, thinker, and human being in Seattle, um, which has already caused a little bit of a scheduling snafu this morning, because um, it's all, always very difficult being three time zones away from everybody. Um, but we're, we're out here hanging on the edge of the pool. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so I, I started writing um, a while ago when I was um, in high school, actually. Um, when I was 12 years old, I could not put together a coherent sentence in the English language written. Um, I was a good talker. I was not a good writer at all. Capitalization, what's that? Punctuation, never heard of her um, sort of thing. Um, but by late high school, I'd kind of gotten it together and I kind of knew like I sort of vaguely wanted to be a writer sort of thing. Um, and I, I actually started first, I didn't start writing fiction seriously till about 2014. I started first doing business freelance writing because there was more money in it. So I started doing that. I went to college, went to grad school, worked as a freelance business writer through um, both I got my master's in when I was 23. I did both my degrees in political science, which is why one of the reasons I do political commentary. Um, and I, yeah. And so then I, after that, I decided in the middle of grad school, I ran my first magazine, which was called Liberty Inc. Journal, which was a Tea Party publication because I used to be a Republican. We'll circle back to that. Um, and, um, and then that was kind of like my first big foray into writing that wasn't like content for somebody's homepage. And I had a staff of 20 people um, and four bosses. So I was between, I was literally between the restless natives and like the local aristocracy. And it was my job to moderate the forces. Um, and as it was often the case in most of my career, I was the only person of color to be found for about a country mile. Um, and because I was only 
21 when I started working at Liberty Ink Journal. I was also decidedly the youngest person on staff. So, um, which is a very awkward thing. And then following that, I graduated from that publication. Um, I left and that publication subsequently closed. I graduated from grad school and I started working in fashion. And uh, this was about, this is about 2011, 2012. And that's about the time Occupy Wall Street came out. And that was, I have the distinct, I have the distinct privilege of having been both involved in the Tea Party movement in 2010 and the Occupy Wall Street movement in 2011. Like I was involved in both. That is an odd disposition there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, but Occupy Wall Street was the beginning of my political transformation out of the Republican Party and into a more leftist program. Um, when I arrived in college, I mean, I thing is, I grew up white evangelical. So, um, gay, I wasn't really on board with the whole gay marriage thing. You know, abortion was wrong, all the stock kind of evangelical things. I had been working in Republican politics since I was 14 years old. I had been a legislative aide for a state senator when I was in high school. Um, in fact, my boss had to keep my paychecks in her desk because they couldn't legally pay me until I turned 18. Um, like all this, so I had been steeped in Republican politics. In 2009, I'd been a National Young Republicans delegate um, in, in Indianapolis, and I had been a chapter president of Young Republicans. I had been state secretary for Colorado Young Republicans. I have met presidents and former secretaries of state, a lot of very important people. Um, when Michael Steele made the famous comment about fried chicken and collard greens, that was everywhere. I was the reporter that asked him the question that generated that remark. And the question was, how can the Republican party be more inclusive? And that was his reply. And it was on the Daily Show, it was on the Young Turks, it was all over the place. Um, and so, um, in fact, my friends will still be like, can you send us that clip from that one time you went viral before that was a thing? And I'm kind of like, yes, I have it handy. Here it is. This is the thing that went around the world because it was on The Daily Show. Um, so, yeah, so 2011, I get involved in Occupy Wall Street. That kind of, in Denver, um, that kind of falls apart because winter is a thing. And then I start looking for something else. And I get this idea that I want to work in fashion. So I go into the fashion industry. Um, and then I was executive producer of Denver Fashion Week 2012, which is now a huge fashion event. It's, I sold it, it got sold a few times and now it's with good people and it's a, it's a big thing. Um, and I got to work on a great fashion publication. I got to own a tattoo shop, a vintage clothing shop, which was really cool. Um, and when that came to an end, um, I needed to process that because I was in a situation where I was going to work every day with people I thought were my best friends in the entire world and that turned out not necessarily to be the case. So I had a lot of shit to process. And that was when I started writing seriously. So basically I started writing to try to process that. 
And out of that, I started to write more seriously. And in 2014, I created CameronCowan.net, which would later become the Cameron Journal. I created the Cameron Cowan Show, which was on YouTube. We did two videos a week, a podcast every Saturday, and three blog posts. Um, and then in 2016, I I I ran out of steam. I ran out of energy. I ran out of money. I ran out of everything. <laughs> so I kind of closed everything, shut everything down. I kind of thought that phase of my life was over. Like I thought that was sort of it. And um, I went back to work for a while. I'm I had moved up here to Seattle by that time. I moved up here in October 2014. Um, I'd moved up here by this time. So I went out and got a job and all this type of thing. And then in in late 2018, um, I found myself unemployed yet again. And I decided to kind of fire up the band. And so I, I did that. I moved out to West Virginia in January of 2019. That was a terrible idea. Not to knock your side of the country, but that was kind of a terrible idea. Did you not claim West Virginia or any of the... Uh, <laughs> yes. like just regular Virginia here. We don't... We, we annexed them a long time ago. <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, I, I mean, to be quite honest with you, I, we used to go buy cigarettes for my ex-girlfriend in Virginia. So I was like there all the time because we were in eastern West Virginia, that little sliver of West Virginia in the eastern panhandle. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so I that was kind of a messy thing. And then girlfriend and I break up and I end up coming back to Seattle. And through this whole process, I did this rebrand and CameronCowan.net became the Cameron Journal. And I restarted the podcast. I ran the last magazine I will ever run, which was called Rouges, which because of the pandemic, we ended up closing down. Um, just because there's a lot of cons media consolidation going on and the traffic was just not moving in our favor anymore. Um, and, but uh, sadly, we had a lot of really great stuff and contributors and people wanting to be involved and all this sort of thing. So it was, it was really lovely. Um, but yeah, so I, I that's kind of brings us up to today um, in terms of what I do. So I primarily do political commentary. With the Cameron Journal, I've also kind of gotten into a lot more life stuff. So we have a really popular category called Best Advice, where I kind of tell Check people how to, yeah, I kind of tell people how to do different things or handle different situations or whatever have you. Um, so that, in fact, I'm, I'm kind of going to start to compile those into kind of its own book. Um, we're also, I have traveled a lot <laughs> in my life. Um, so I'm I'm currently doing a series of travel stories. Um, my dad works for a weather agency, so I grew up traveling and on the road. I have also traveled fairly extensively as an adult. So um, I'm kind of compiling all those different stories that involves trains, planes, buses, driving cars, I mean, all modes of transportation. And I'm kind of, you know, writing about kind of what life is like on the road. So and a life that has been lived on the road, kind of somewhat constantly all the time. And uh, yeah, so it can't, the camera girl is a place, we, I say it's our world explained because I do try to do a good job of providing the necessary context for what's going on in the world around us. I try to bring things up and show and expose things to people that they might not otherwise see or experience themselves to. And I just try to give context and perspective because most people have no context for what's going on. 
It seems like, oh, this thing has happened. How terrible. And I'm over here being like, we've seen that coming for six months because of this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing, you know, or yeah, that can be expected because if this and this and this all happens, you get that. But people don't kind of pay attention to all of those things to understand things don't happen out of the blue. It seems like they do, but it doesn't. And so I try to provide the context to say, yeah, it seems like this is just a brand new thing, but it's really not, and here's why. And especially now at this point, some of this stuff started decades ago. Like, yeah, someone did something in 1972, and now here we are. So, <laughs> you know, um, uh, and yeah, so that's kind of how, how, we, how we do things. The podcast is on every platform. So if you're listening to this right now, um, whatever platform you're listening to this on, look for the Cameron Journal podcast and you'll find, you'll find um, the show. And we have, um, in normal times, I'm taking a little bit of a break right now, in normal times, we have interviews on Monday and a new show on Saturday. But I'm taking a break right now, so we've just had interviews on Monday. Um, and then we're finally breaking after this Monday. Um, I'm gonna take about a couple months off, but there's tons of stuff and we're gonna have new produced episodes in the fall. So awesome. that was a very long story to answer your question. No, that, that was a great story and it has a lot of jewels in there to pick and, and you're I say I started off at the beginning of the show saying we had the most interesting guests and I really really stand by that your story alone is extremely interesting to be a person of color raised white evangelical and then go on uh, to move on to the left in life and, and I see that a lot with people especially on the political spectrum they are what their parents are and then something happens which changes to make them kind of really wake up into reality of being on both sides or being on both sides in your past. um, Have you seen, because I always hear, uh, we have another show, uh, Politics as Usual, available on on YouTube, but we have another show where we focus on politics and we talk about that. And do you feel the right side is not the right that you grew up with? For me, from my eyes of, always being somewhat more of a left person. I I feel like the days of the Ronald Reagan Republican are long gone. And now I'm seeing more and more, it seems like people are coming out of nowhere with these theories and and it's almost insanity. Uh, It was a a lady the other day and she was talking about the vaccine made her magnetized and she's walking around with a magnet. I mean, with a key stuck to her chest. And then I hear another, politician saying he believes Black Lives Matter are controlling the moon and the tides. And I'm like, holy crap, like things that are said right now, 10 years ago, I think they would have been instantly booted off the air. And now it seems like it has a home. Do you feel there's been like a crazy evolution in the in the Republican Party? Yes, there has been. And I regret so much that I helped cause this to occur so I said this a lot during the Trump years I spent a lot of time apologizing to people because the Tea Party is what caused this yeah the Republican Party has gone off the deep end it is Trump's party everybody else is just living in it they have gone off the deep end Richard Nixon today would be a Democrat 
Sure. That should worry you. That's how sure. far right they've gotten that today Nixon would be considered moderate Democrat. Like that's problem, hugely problematic. Horrifying actually. <laughs> yeah, really and truly, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think Ronald Reagan would recognize today's Republican party. This certainly was not how things were done in the Bush years. And that was high, that was high school for me, middle school, high school. This was not the sort of thing that was done. But the Tea Party came to power in 2010 to get rid of what they called the so-called corporate Republicans that compromise with Democrats too much. This is what Republican voters wanted starting 10 years ago. And when I was running Liberty Inc. Journal, I was at the forefront of that. Um, in fact, very famously one time, I one of the most regrettable things I ever wrote um, we ran a piece on a guy in Colorado named Tom Tancredo. He had been a congressman in Colorado forever. He was running for governor at the time. One of my publishers wanted him out of the race for a Tea Party candidate. And he said, I want you to write a hit piece on him. Tear him apart. And I did. I did as ordered. I wrote a piece that just tore him limb from limb. And all the attacks... <clears throat> And it was the most regrettable thing I ever wrote. Um, and the sad thing is I, had, I knew Tom Tancredo and um, he didn't deserve that. He really didn't. Um, he was a decent man and he was a great congressman for Colorado and he didn't deserve the type of journalism that I did on him. But all the attacks had to do with he was too close to corporations. He was too close to Democrats. He voted for too many liberal things. And so this whole idea of if it's from the left, we can't be a part of it, that started back then. Right. And now we see today that that, that outgrowth of that is anything that is liberal, anything the Democrats want, anything like this, the, an the answer is never, oh, let's come together and compromise and find a way to do this or find a different way to handle the problem or whatever have you. The answer is always and immediately no. So yeah, the Republican party has absolutely changed and you can draw a line from the Tea Party to birtherism, to Trump, to today. And I'm so glad you mentioned birtherism because here on Down in the Den, politics as usual in the Mars Entertainment family, we have no problem with not only playing the race card, but putting the race card right on the table and letting everyone just open their eyes to it. And I feel that the advancement of some of these crazy right-wing uh, theories and conspiracies and some of the things they're saying is directly correlated to having a biracial president for eight years that seem to be very popular, not only nationally, but globally. Do you think having Barack, because I always see in America, whenever we take two steps forward, there's usually a backlash that takes us three steps back from the party who has the power, which is cis white men who don't want that power threatened. Do you think uh, having President Obama uh, for eight years had any impact on kind of really elevating the crazy in this country? I don't think it elevated the crazy as such. What I do think it did is I think it scared a lot of white people. 
It left a lot of white people very uncomfortable with the direction of the country. You know, the old fashioned, the Browns are getting too uppity and we oughtn't do something about that sort of thing. Um, I, I think I think the big one that I think directly caused Trump, and I've seen it in documentary film, and I, I'm working on a project right now called Trump Treason, and I'm going to draw this line. The 2015 White House Correspondents' Dinner, Seth Meyers and Barack Obama spent about 20 minutes dunking on Donald Trump. There is no proof of this, but I would bet good money that's the night he decided to run for president. And the the reality is a comedian and a Black man shamed Donald Trump in front of the only group of people whose respect he craves, the media. Mm. And for someone with a fragile of a narcissistic ego as Donald Trump has, there's no way for him to emotionally process having that done in front of the only people whose respects he craves and can never seem to get. And now has lost forever because of, you know, what he has done and all this sort of thing. And I think that was the night he decided to run for president. I don't think he ever intended to win. I don't think he ran to actually be president. I don't think he enjoyed the job. Oh, I know he enjoyed the job because he decided not to do it. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, but that, I mean, yes, I, there's a, to me, there's a straight line. Birtherism was kind of the first wackadoodle conspiracy theory to hit the mainstream because of Donald Trump. He's the one that got it on TV. He's the one that got it on The View and all the shows and all this type of thing. And he was doing video content and all this sort of thing. That's how that got there. And that really opened the floodgates to all sorts of other really crazy ideas. And you also can't not, you can't help but blame social media. It has allowed all the crazies who were privately having crazy ideas in their basements all over the country to jump on the internet and find each other and start sharing their crazy ideas with each other. You know, and if you get enough, I mean, (laughs) as the old saying goes, you know, a large group of people, you know, with a bad idea is a very dangerous sort of thing. And then we get January 6th, you know, that's kind of, you know, the masses run amok sort of thing. And I laugh because everyone's kind of like, well, what about BLM burning down, burning down cities? I'm like, they burnt some shops and that's not good. Like I'll be all to say, like, I'm not a huge, I was a small business owner. I'm not a huge fan of local property destruction, but they didn't burn down all of Portland. It's still there. I was just there the other week. It's still very much there. Everything's in place. Like everything's fine. Like in Seattle, like, oh, the BLM is taking down downtown Seattle. I'm like, mm, not that I can tell. The SPD seems to be running around doing whatever the hell they want to. If BLM is in charge, they're doing a better job than the mayor. And we should probably continue to let them be in charge. Like, you know, sort of thing. Like, no, the city seems fine. Like, every the traffic, still bad. Like, you know, the hills, still steep. Like, you know, like, everything seems to be pretty normal. Um, like, the water still comes out of the spout. So I think we're good. Um, but, like, there's this whole idea. And it's kind of like, here's the thing. We lost, the Democrats lost a very important election, an election that was theirs to lose in 2016. 
there was a pussy hat march, but no one was kind of like, oh, let's storm the Capitol and stop them from counting the electoral college votes so that Trump won't get in. Nobody was saying that on the left. Nobody did any of that. We quietly went along with what happened and just resolved to resist and do what we could over the next four years. And that's what we did. Meanwhile, on the right, when they lose the election of their quote unquote white savior, that quite frankly, most of them are worshiping as a god, all of a sudden, now we're up to the whole, oh, we've got to storm the barricades sort of thing. And it, it, so, um, I mean, yeah, I, I think birtherism is the progenitor of the conditions we have now. I concur. And it's most unfortunate. I concur. Now, it, we touched on January 6th, and, and it's blowing me away how much this is really going under the radar and how so many politicians are just like, they were angry, they were just expressing their voice when a guy just lost. He just literally lost. I'm a Lakers fan. You didn't see me riding over in uh, uh, Phoenix because they beat my team. But yeah. that's what it seems like. It's like they, they're ready to cause loss of life because their team lost. And as a member of the media, as a former media, the member media and a current member in the media, do you feel it's a responsibility for the media to call it like it is? I, I always hate the language they use. Instead of just saying Trump lied, Trump said a mistruth, or this Republican did this, it's like they're sugarcoating it. When I feel like as uh, the party's delivering the news, they have more of a responsibility to say, this is a lie and this is why, here's the evidence. But you don't see that anymore. I see a lot of reporting for clicks and ratings. Do you feel the media has a more uh, important responsibility or should each person just educate themselves on what's really going on? There has been, and I, I especially on Twitter, travel in these circles um, with people from Vox, New York Observer, New York Magazine, all this type of thing. I mean, I've, I've had Twitter tete-a-tetes with Kara Swisher. I mean, I kind of, sort of travel in these circles. There has been a lot, there was a lot of ink spilled at the end of the Trump presidency, criticizing the media of how we did our job. Um, and I was, I didn't start, I, I didn't start being a member of the media again until about 2019. So I only covered the last two years of the Trump presidency. I didn't cover the first two. Um, and, there's a lot the media did right and there's a lot the media did wrong um i don't the the fact checking thing and how like at the end they started live fact checking trump was helpful but by that time it was too little too late sort of thing um i my biggest issue with the media coverage of trump is not that i think it's their responsibility to point out every single lie although towards the end that was literally half of a news broadcast was just unpacking what trump said that wasn't true my problem with trump is the media for ratings and les moonves said this he's like trump is bad for the country but it's great for cbs 
The problem is Trump was such a ratings mover that all the networks couldn't help but have him on 24-7 because it was making them money. And that was the problem is that, I mean, especially like in 2016, Donald Trump received $1.5 billion of free media exposure. The Clinton campaign couldn't have kept up if they tried. Like, it just was, like, the media was not covering the Clinton campaign the same way they were covering Trump. If Trump appeared anywhere and opened his mouth, every network was there, cameras on. They were cutting away from everything to cover Trump. Hillary never got that type of attention, ever. And she was a flawed candidate anyway that pe- anybody over okay. 35 had an opinion about. Hell, okay. I, anyone over 30, if you grew up in, if you were alive in the 90s, you had an opinion about her already, which Certainly. made her not a great presidential candidate, um, which is why the energy moved away from her quickly in 2008. Um, like, you know, so, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of media coverage, could the media have done a better job? Yes. Should they have maybe pointed out his lies more often? Yes. But I look at it as a deeper issue. Should they have platformed this man the way they did? Oh, no. (laughs) No, they should not have. And the reality is we don't have fair and equal laws anymore. Those went out with Ronald Reagan. So they were able to chase the ratings wherever they were. And the reality is one of the few things Trump does well is he is good at doing what the TV networks need to make money. Trump is a ratings mover. He knows he's a ratings mover. And as long as he keeps doing things that move the ratings, he will keep getting the coverage. And he intimately knows that. That is one thing. And and, and this will be our our final question before we wrap. And, And I agree. I agree with everything you said. As a business covering Trump just makes sense. As a country and ethically, no, this guy shouldn't even have a platform. He, I, I wouldn't trust him to run a local Dairy Queen. Right. But do you think he is just crazy or is he crazy like, like a fox? Is this a carefully manipulated persona that works it or is he just batshit crazy and everybody likes to see what's, you know, everybody likes to see the man barking at the tree? I mean, no, I mean, Trump is, I, I don't think, I don't think Trump is nuts. Trump, he has, his, Trump's interesting, his family situation, like, is, was not great. Right. His, is he was the grandson of German immigrants. Um, his, he kind of lives in the shadow of his father, who quite frankly was much more successful than he ever was. Um, I mean, his, his father owned over 100 buildings in New York and left a fortune in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, meanwhile, Trump bankrupted the casino. Okay, this is a building where people go and give you money. Literally. And you don't have to give it back very often, like from time to time, but not very often. And he ran one into the ground. It literally generates free money. Like if you just turn on the slot machines and walk away, you will make money. And somehow Trump managed to lose money at that. Um, He lives in the shadow of his father and he deeply craved approval from his mother that he never got. And I think that leads to him looking for that attention and that validation in a way 
that I know from my own personal past, you really can't get in society. If, if you're a person who did not get love and validation from your mother, you're going to have a very difficult time in life because there's nowhere else in society you're going to get that. And unfortunately, Donald Trump has used the media and popular attention in magazines and tabloids and this sort of thing to kind of fill in that gap. That's why he's been married three times, all this sort of thing. Um, and I think he has a little bit of a Madonna Harlot thing going on. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so it, it's, it, Trump is, it, it, if he were uh, smart as a fox on January 6th, when they seized the Capitol, he would have been right there and he would have declared himself dictator. Democracy could have ended at that moment. And quite frankly, there's not a whole lot the rest of us could have done about it. And if you right. go listen to the rant I did the week after that, and I found this funny, the only people on major media that were losing their shit were people of color. The white people were kind of like, oh, but they left, it seems fine. And all of us who are brown are out here saying like, no, 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 you don't understand. We literally almost lost the country today and shit could have gotten weird. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it took a couple of weeks before everybody finally realized, but like if Trump were smart, he would have, uh, my friend in Russia was like, he chose people took over the capital. How do you not have dictator? Like in Russia, he would be dictator. Like, like that's how it normally works. But Trump, because of his psychosis, got more pleasure out of watching the riot on TV than being a good autocrat and marching down the mall and declaring himself dictator. So it's like, he can't even form a dictatorship correctly. Like- It's <laughs> like, literally the plot to the first Star Wars. Yeah, like it's like this is not hard. Like, <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah, like this is not a hard thing to do. Like you could like it, and so if he had so no, he I don't think he's that incredibly smart. I think really ultimately he craves attention from people. He enjoys the chaotic back and forth that keeps the attention on him. He enjoys seeing people fight against each other to see how they'll do. He enjoys the and I've I've worked under that dynamic. It is toxic. It is yeah. super toxic. And so that's what he enjoys. And the, the problem is that sort of chaos causes myriads of unforeseen consequences that nobody really understands. And part of the problem is the media chase the consequences, but we're not looking at the disease. Mm. And so it's like, oh, this is happening, this policy, we don't really know what this is going on, or this, we're waiting for this announcement, all this type of thing. And there were so many people in media that were looking at him like a father waiting him to waiting for him to be a decent parent. And they're just kind of like, oh, when is he gonna finally start acting like what we're used to? And it's like, clearly all these people grew up in far more functional families than I did because I quit expecting Trump to do anything about five minutes after noon on January 20th, 2017. Like, that was yeah. as long as I expected him to do anything. <laughs> His inauguration so. address was literally one of the most horrifying, scary things that I had heard. He pretty much promised what he delivered, death and destruction to this country for four years. Yeah. Um, but Cam, your mind, I could I could literally pick your mind all day. You have a beautiful mind, sir. Of beautiful <laughs> mind. So I, 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 
Russell Crowe, please don't sue me. I'm not trying to, you know, claim your movie. But thank you so much. So Cam, please tell the Dim Mates one more time all your details, where they can find you. I know you're going on hiatus, but you have so much good stuff on the Cameron Journal right now that they'll yes. be occupied till you come back. There is seven years of content. There's lots to read. All right, so you can follow me on Twitter at Cameron Cowan. That's where I'm posting the most. So if you want up-to-date, boring details about myself and my life and things that I read, Twitter is your place. Um, the other place I do post stuff is on Facebook. Um, Cameron L. Cowan um, is the place to find me on Facebook. Um, the website is Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N, journal.com. And there's links to all the social stuff. There's lots of stuff to read. And like I said, if you love podcasts, whatever platform you're listening to on right now, search the, for the Cameron Journal podcast and you'll find me. And there's um, a ton of back weekly news shows. There's a lot of interviews. I just did six months every week of interviews. So there's tons of great interviews, including one about ex-evangelicals. I interview a lady who lives in Palestine in East Jerusalem um, and works in Ramallah, um, all sorts of interesting stuff. Book authors we have on, all this sort of thing. And this upcoming Monday, I interview my mother and we talk about every presidential election she voted in. So from 1976 to today. So yeah, so that's, that's coming up on Monday. So uh, yeah, so that's where you can find me online. And I welcome questions, comments, and concerns. Or if you have a news story you want me to talk about, send it in and we'll, we'll talk about it. Awesome. Well, when you get back from your vacation and I want you to enjoy it, recharge, get those batteries charged, we have to have you on politics as usual, because like I said, you have a beautiful mind. You have a unique experience that most people, most people are one political affiliation their whole life uh, or none or uneducated about the situation. So I, I feel like your story is very unique. So thank you so much, of course, again, for joining if you're looking at it on YouTube, I'll put all the links and everything. If you're listening to it on Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening to, please follow uh, Cam. He has a wonderful, wonderful point of view that's unique that uh, I, I think will really impact you. He's definitely impacted here uh, at the den. So thank you so much, uh, Cam. Uh, as always, that's all we have for today. Please listen, subscribe, comment. Please follow my man, Cam immediately it's got great stuff and as always thank you guys for listening deuces